Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We are on our last Sunday in our Advent series. We have been looking at Jesus, our hope, and talking about um, the first coming of Christ and the second coming. Have fun. Um, You know, as we turn the year in in 2020, everyone's amen when we're in 2020, but we go to 2021, uh, we have uh, inevitably started thinking about resolutions, right? What do we want to change about next year? And and if we're honest, there's a lot of things we can't change. There's a lot of things we just kind of have to endure and wait, but there are some things we can change. It's interesting, um, as as we think about resolutions, I find that there's more grace for myself, when I don't think as much about resolutions, and I start thinking about more like focus areas, and just becoming a little bit better in my focus areas one day at a time. I mean, once you set a resolution, all you can do is like fail at it. <laughs> Maybe you're good at it. I'm not. I found much better, uh, much better time with just choosing a focus area. Like I want to eat healthy, and I'm going to get one percent better at that every day, or I want to read more books. I'm going to want to. Get 1% better at that every day. But whatever your focus area is for the next year, I want to challenge you this morning that the most important area of your life is your spiritual condition. There's a lot of things going on, and it can feel like our relationship with Christ and the state of our heart, the state of our souls is secondary, right? Secondary to a vaccine or secondary to like making sure I can pay the bills. And those things are really important. But what's even more important is our relationship with Christ. Jesus tells a parable that's very famous about the the seeds and the weeds. And the seeds are scattered and that's the gospel message. And most of the, 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 the seeds are choked out. And it's just really normal stuff that chokes out the spiritual life in people. It's things like worries of the moment. Who's got worries? Me. You've got worries. It's things like the deceitfulness of wealth. It's things like distress or persecution. Those things can squash or choke our spiritual life and our relationship with Jesus. And so even as we think about 2021, we have to learn about how to rightly order our hopes. We have all sorts of hopes, right? But what does it mean to go, Jesus is my greatest hope? My my ultimate longings are met in him. We have to rightly order our hopes. And that's why we are ending this series with uh, this last sermon from Matthew 25. We're calling it Jesus, our bridegroom. And that'll make sense as we go through the story. Uh, My sister Jenna Braddock is in town, and she's going to come up and read the scripture for us. Uh, her husband, my brother-in-law, Brian, is here, and my nephews are out back. And, all right, thank you for reading. Jesus replied to them, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here's the groom! Come out to meet him! 
Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, No, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. He replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. The word of God. I want to tell you about one of the meanest, pettiest things I've ever done. But if I tell you, you can't judge me for it. Deal? When I was five years old, my parents had a birthday party for me, and they invited all the neighborhood kids over. And one of the presents that I got at that party was a Fisher-Price drum set. And it was this drum that you could hang from your neck and walk around and just beat. Now, I've come to despise presents like that now. Anything that makes noise, please don't give me. But at the time, it felt awesome as a five-year-old, not only because it was a drum, but when you opened it up, there was all these other instruments inside. So it was a drum set because it had a drum and it had all these other things. And so we, we, I put on the drum and opened it up and all the kids began having, or getting the toys and having a band right there. But there was this one girl at my party and I don't quite remember what she did, but I just remember not liking the way uh, that she was like reaching for one of the, the toys. So it was something about her attitude that just bothered me in the way that she was trying to get her hands on one of the instruments. As I said, it was petty. But what I did when I figured out that she bothered me was I took her to the front door of my house. I opened the front door. I made her go outside. I shut the door and I locked it. And we moved on with the party. <laughs> I said it was petty. Well, immediately after I kicked her out of the party uh, and locked her out, she began to cry. It was a horrible thing that I'd done. Well, my mother goes past the front door and past the front window and sees this little girl outside crying that she had gotten shamed publicly and kicked out of the party and opens the door and lets her back in, and I get in trouble at my own birthday party for kicking this girl out. As I said, it was one of the meanest things that I've ever done. But there's a tie-in, uh, there's a tie-in for today, because in the parable that we read, that's a metaphor, it's a metaphor about Jesus, and in that story, at the end of the story, there are people who are outside of a party, and there's a door that's shut and locked, and they want to get in the party, and the person who represents Jesus says, no, the door's locked, I don't even know you. And when we hear that, and we know that Jesus loves, and we know that Jesus cares, and then we hear that this thing that Jesus isn't letting someone in his party, you can feel like you do about me. Isn't that kind of petty? Isn't it a bit mean-spirited of Jesus not to let someone into his party that wants to come in? Well, let's unpack the story. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is teaching 
about his return. And he uses the metaphor of a wedding. And the way that weddings worked in Jesus' day was that the party would start at the groom's home. They would call the groom the bridegroom. You notice that term? We don't use that term in our culture, but that's what it means. The bridegroom is the groom. And the party would start at the bridegroom's home. And then at some point during the night, the bridegroom, the groom, would leave his home with his friends and journey to the bride's house. Now, the bride's house could be five minutes away. It could be two hours away. And so the bride never really knew when the groom was going to show up. And so they had to stay ready along with her bridesmaids, called virgins in this story. That means bridesmaids. They had to stay and wait through the night until the groom and his party arrived to get her, marry her, and then bring her back to the party at his house. And the main way that they were supposed to be ready was they were to have their lamps ready to journey through the night. No cell phones to hold up with your flashlight as you're going. No street lights. You just walked in the dark under the stars. And they would carry these torches. But eventually the torch would run out of oil and you had to have extra oil to keep it burning. Well, in our story, Jesus says that there are ten bridesmaids. Five of them are foolish, five of them are wise. That's what he says in verse 2. Five of them are not ready, and five of them are ready. Now, everybody falls asleep. That's not the point. They all fall asleep, and then all of a sudden there's this shout, a shout in the night. The bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. The groom's here with his party. Now's the time. Be ready. Everyone gets up, and everyone thinks they're ready, except we find out that they're not all ready. They're not all ready. In fact, there's five bridesmaids who do not have enough oil for the journey to the groom's house. And so what do they do? Well, they ask the wise bridesmaids, the other five, they say, listen, we don't have enough oil. Can you share? And the wise bridesmaids who had prepared and were ready say, listen, we just have enough for ourselves. If we give ours to you, then we have to go get some oil. You're going to have to go get your own. You're going to have to go get ready. Well, they do. The foolish bridesmaids go trying to find some oil, and meanwhile, the party leaves to go back to the groom's house. Well, they, they, they get the oil, and then they show up at the party late. And when they get there, they find that the door is closed. They knock, they say, hey, we're here, open it up, let us into the party. And the groom from the inside says, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know you. That's a sober parable. Jesus tells us this parable to help us see he is the bridegroom. He is the groom coming back for his people. He's talking about his second coming, his final advent. And he wants us to see this. Jesus will return one day, and he will gather forgiven sinners into a great celebration. And he's telling us to be ready. Be ready for Jesus' return because it will be unexpected. But then once it happens, the door is shut, and those who don't get in can't get in. That's a sobering parable. See, at Christmas time, we celebrate Jesus' first coming. 
And when we talk about Jesus' first coming, we think of Jesus coming in humility into a manger as a baby. But when Jesus comes again, he will come in glory as a king. When we think about Jesus' first coming, we think about him coming, and the world did not know that a king had been born. But at his second coming, everyone will see him, because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. When Jesus first came, he didn't come to judge, but rather he came to be judged by dying on the cross for our sins, absorbing the wrath of God so that you and I can be forgiven. But when Christ returns, he will come on a white horse, ready to slay his enemies. He will come as a judge. Ray Ortland reminds us that the Jesus of the first coming is not the same as the Jesus of the second. It's the same person, but he comes in two different ways. He says they assume that Jesus on Judgment Day is not the Jesus of Christmas Day. He's little, he's harmless, and he's non-threatening in his first coming, but oh no, on that second coming, on that day too late is too bad. Jesus will roar like a lion, not lie down like a lamb. The door will stay closed. That's sobering. Jesus is giving us a challenge and a nudge. Be ready for my second coming. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. How do we do that? How do we be ready for Christ to return? Well, the first way is that you and I have to take the second coming seriously. It's not a metaphor. It's not something that we just made up. Christ will return. It will be an actual, real, historical event. Now, every few years, some religious kook says, I know when the end of the world's going to be. I know the day and time and hour when Jesus is going to come back. And we've heard this over and over and over again. And because we hear this over and over from religious kooks who pretend to know the return of Christ, to know the date and the time, we can grow a little bit cynical about the actual event of Jesus' return. I mean, we've heard this before. We're, we're tired of people pretending this. And so when we think about the second coming, it, it feels a little irrelevant to our lives because we're just so tired of people making false predictions. But nothing could be more relevant than Jesus coming again. First of all, because it's a real event, but then for you, it's meant to give you great hope. It's a hopeful event. Ellie read the scripture earlier from Revelation 19. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. In other words, if you know Jesus and you're faithful and loyal to him, then when Christ returns, you are invited to a great party. You are invited to a great party that you you are the object of his affection for eternity. You are the beloved. And that's meant to give you great hope right now. When Jesus returns, the Bible teaches that the dead will be resurrected from the grave. And their souls and bodies will be rejoined. And Jesus will come as a judge, but for those who know him, they will be publicly acquitted of all their sins and join Jesus Christ in an eternal party that will last forever. 
King Jesus will banish sin and death and the devil and wipe every tear from your eyes and you will live with him forever. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared? We do that by taking the event of Jesus' second coming seriously, but also by taking our own spiritual condition seriously. You notice that the foolish bridesmaids, they never stop to assess the condition of their lamps. They never stopped to assess the condition of their supply of oil. They, they thought that they could rely on someone else for something that they themselves were responsible for. There's a sense where when Jesus comes back, Jesus is pushing us to go, are you, where you are now, is that where you want to be when I return? One of my favorite singers is Johnny Cash, and he sings this great song called when the man comes around. And the man is Jesus. He's talking about the return of Christ. And he sings the song, and it's actually a little bit scary because he uses all this apocalyptic language. And if you've heard Johnny Cash sing, it's like down here, you know? So it's, uh, I mean, I think that they would be fine playing this at the second coming because it's bold enough, you know, to, 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 to bring Jesus back in. But, but Cash sings this, here are the trumpets, here are the pipers. 100 million angels singing, multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying, some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come. And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. And then referencing our parable, he says this, the virgins are all trimming their wicks. That means the, the bridesmaids are prepared with their oil. But then he, he, he sings something that makes us really think. He says, whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still. When Christ returns, whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still. Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. Listen to the words long written down when the man comes around. Cash is pushing us to say, what spiritual condition are you in right now? Do you want to stay there right now? because you will have to stay in that condition once Christ returns. See, maybe you're, you're here, you're exploring Christianity, and you felt this sense like Jesus is calling you to himself, but you stopped moving towards him. You stopped exploring faith. Now, we want to give incredible freedom for people to be on a spiritual journey and explore Jesus, but I also want to say this. Life is short. Life is fragile. You are not in control of your own life. You don't know when things are going to end. And so are, have you fallen asleep on that spiritual journey, even as you explore Jesus, or are you pursuing that? You know, on the 23rd, I got a text message from a friend who's a church planner in Atlanta, and he said, pray for me. I've been locked in my, my son's room for eight days with COVID, and it's miserable. It's a guy who used to be a Marine. He's a tough guy. And life is fragile. On the 24th, we got news that a family member had been rushed to the hospital unexpectedly. Life is fragile. On Christmas morning, my friend who's planning a church in downtown Nashville texted me and said, Merry Christmas, pray for us. A bomb has just exploded on 2nd Avenue. We don't know anything more. Life is fragile. Life is short. And whether you're here when Jesus returns, or you die before Jesus returns, you are not in control. So we want to say, take the freedom to explore Jesus, but
But have you fallen asleep on the way? Have you fallen asleep on the way? Well, maybe this. Maybe you're a longtime Christian. You've been walking with the Lord for a really long time, but you felt in the last year that your passion for him has dwindled. I mean, we can all relate to that. Our passion for Jesus uh, goes up. Sometimes it goes down. Uh, but is that where you want to be when he returns? Longing, expectant for him to come back. Do you want to take this next year to rekindle your passion for Jesus? Maybe you are passionate. Maybe you are devoted to Christ, but you've gotten too comfortable with certain pet sins and you just kind of let them stay there rather than fighting them, rather than repenting, rather than rejecting them. Is that where, how you want to stay when Christ returns? I know that sometimes people just get tired of hypocrisy, right? You're tired of seeing Christians say one thing and do another, and that can make our spiritual lights go dim. We just get worn out. But what happens in that is we can be so focused on others changing that we forget to, by grace, go to the Holy Spirit and have him change us. We forget to stay ready for Christ's return because we're so focused on how other people are hypocritical. Lisa Fields, who is a Christian apologist, tweeted this out a couple weeks ago, and I thought it was profound. She says, on Judgment Day, we won't be able to point to someone else's hypocrisy as the reason for our own disobedience. God doesn't lower his standard just because we can name several people that are hypocrites. At the end of the service, I want to give you an opportunity just to have be prayed over because I know that these things, spiritual lethargy or just falling asleep or letting our lights grow dim are just part of being human. But the question is, is that where we want to stay? Do we want to stay there or do we want to grow in the Lord? Do we want to walk with him? Do we want to prepare for his return? Now, I want to clarify something, because some of you, as I've talked about being ready, what you've heard me say is, be religious. As I talked about getting prepared, what you've heard is, be perfect. And that's not what I said. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus never is about perfection or performance. Perfection and performance is never the way to secure a relationship with God. Never, ever, ever. But we're still called to prepare. We're still called to not perform. We're still called to prepare and be ready. And there's a real difference. See, the person who is performing, performing religion says, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Look busy. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about us embracing his grace, letting his love sink to the deepest part of our hearts so that you and I are filled with hope that daily we get up and we're warmed at the fire of God's love for us so that we love him back and we love our neighbors and we follow him with every ounce of passion that we have. It was a cold weekend here in South Florida, and I sat in my backyard for a lot of it, and I, I started a fire in this little fire pit we got, and my kids were running around, and they would run to other parts of the yard, and they'd be like, hey, Dad, I'm cold. 
I said, well, mom might have raised someone who was a little bit petty when he was five, but mom did not raise someone who's dumb. I'm near the fireplace. The answer to your coldness is to come over to the fire and get warm. And for you, if you're feeling spiritually dry, if you're feeling spiritually out of sorts, if you're, if you're too comfortable with pet sins or your passion has dwindled, get near the fire of God's love. Go to him in prayer. Confess where you really are. He will meet you really where you really are, and he will help you keep your lamp lit. The promises of the gospel are for us, that God loves us and he has forgiven us. And as we sit in those, the, those truths, we will develop a deeper love for God. We'll develop a growing repentance before him and a greater longing It's not about look busy, Jesus is coming. It's about, I want to see the king. And I want to seek his kingdom now while we wait for him to return. God's kingdom come. Jesus, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because one day heaven will invade earth and I'm ready. Transform me now, Jesus, because when you return, you will transform everything. And that should give us great hope. That should give us great hope so that we can be ready, whether it's a long time before Jesus comes or whether he comes at 12.01 today, to be ready. Now, theologically, we have good reasons to think that there's still a little bit of time before Christ returns. Some other things have to line up. Some other things have to happen. But Jesus himself says at the end of this chapter, No one knows the day or the hour. So even saying that about theology, I'm a little hesitant to say that because I really don't know when Christ will return. And so have you thought through what it means to persevere spiritually if you live your full life before he does? Have you prepared for that? But also, have you prepared if he comes back today? Are you ready? Now, the foolish bridesmaids bridesmaids had not prepared for either. They were completely caught off guard when the groom showed up. And so were many people when Jesus first came. Jesus had been prophesied about for hundreds of years, but when he actually showed up, no one was really ready for him. And there's a warning for us there to keep the gospel fire lit in our hearts because the reason that Jesus hasn't come back yet is simply this. He is delaying to give more people a chance to repent and know him. That's the reason. It's because of his grace. He hasn't come yet to judge because he wants to give more and more people a chance to come to know him so that they can be with him in the eternal party, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so we must take the first coming or the second coming seriously. We also must take our spiritual conditions seriously. But here's the thing. In this parable, we see that Jesus takes you seriously. Here's what I mean by that. In my story, I was superficial and petty to kick someone out of my party for no reason at all. But but in this story, Jesus is caringly cautioning us to make sure that we get in to his party. In my story, I was mean and petty by excluding someone. But in this story, Jesus is straightforward with us 
because he wants to make sure that you hear the invitation and join him at the feast. Don't get left outside because to know him is to be forgiven. It's to be his beloved. I mean, the point of the story is a bride and a groom, that that we are the objects of his affection, that he wants to shower us with love for eternity. So he is taking you seriously by nudging you, by challenging you to see, because he wants you to be part of a party that will end all parties. Part of a party that will end all parties, not not just a party that we've been waiting for for a year or even hundreds of years, but really a party that the people of God have been waiting for for thousands of years. The prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse of this party hundreds of years before Jesus even comes. Isaiah prophesies, On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast, a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud. That is, he will swallow up death. The shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. When he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, will you say this with me? Look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Friends, this is a party you do not want to miss. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.